There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 25th of February 2010. For the newcomers of the show, uh, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. Scroll down the front page, bookmark all the other sites I have up there for future use because once in a while the big ones go down. So the official sites are cuttingthroughthematrix.com, .net, .us, .ca. There's Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, cuttingthrough.jenkins.com, and Alan Watt, sentinel.eu. The Sentinel site is European. It has all the same audios for download, but it's with the addition of transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given over the years, and you can choose from various languages of Europe. And remember that you are the audience who bring me to you because I don't ask for the cash from the advertisers. The ads on this show are paid directly by advertisers straight to RBN. It bypasses me completely, nothing to do with it. And that pays for this airtime, it pays for the staff at RBN, and the broadcast through the satellite, etc., and their bills. And that's very, very important these days. So you can keep me going by buying the books and so on I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You can also donate to me. It's, uh, it's up to you. If you spare a few pennies here and there, most folk think things are free today, but if there's something free, uh, there's a big uh, body of people behind the person who is pushing something, believe you me. Nothing is for free. And from the U.S., remember, you can use personal checks to Canada. You can also use an international postal money order from your post office, Stress International, and you can send cash for ordering. Or PayPal. Now, you can use a PayPal button on the site and just send a separate email along with the PayPal donation, and I'll get the order out to you. Same for outside the Americas, in Europe, etc. You can use Western Union, MoneyGram, Cash, or PayPal. Same deal again. They used to accept postal, international postal money orders from across the world at one time just a few years ago, but they stopped all that uh, after 9-11, except for the U.S. to Canada, because we're pretty well amalgamated under the North American Union. And for those who get the disc burned and passed to them, write to me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P for Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, and the number 1. Reality, reality, reality. Everybody's clutching for some kind. Well, not everybody's clutching for reality. They think they have it because it's presented to them every day by their television and their radio and their, their movies that they're watching. That is the reality, to be honest with you, for most people because the technique of indoctrination has been so well perfected with mass communication. Of course, you understand, too, that all down through time, 
that money has gone towards a military-industrial complex of one form or another. Most folk don't even know that a, a knight of the Middle Ages just didn't have one horse, his lance and his spear and a squire to get him and his little castle to live in and a string of horses. They didn't have one horse. Even the Crusades had about five or six horses each in the, tra- in the train. It cost the equivalent of a Learjet to keep them going. So somebody was making an awful lot of money uh, off uh, the military, and they always have done, since even long before that even. The Phoenicians had the uh, basically the, the patent, you might say, because of the secrets of where to get the, the materials to make the, the bronze for spears and swords, and they kept that quiet for hundreds of years. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix talking about reality and how it's projected to us and most folk don't have much of a chance of course because you get brainwashed when you're born and your parents will unload and or download to you the reality that they were given because they haven't questioned anything either they complain about politics and this guy in politics or that guy, but they don't really understand what's going on. Why should they? Because they truly believe the media is there to do their thinking for them. They honestly do. And reality is such a hard, hard thing to grasp. I've, I've talked about how the world is planned with different phases of uh, the plan. Some take five-year plans, some are 10, some 50, some 100, some 120, 150. If you go into the United Nations and the various organizations they have and their agendas, they, they use the same technique, five up to a hundred year plans for different parts of the world integrated uh, socialist system. And you'll find it at uh, the Economic Union of uh, Europe, same idea from their parliament. So we run by these plans and we're not supposed to know, we're supposed to play and, and work and have some fun and don't think too much. And never before in history have we had such really cheap entertainment, such a mass of it to keep our minds from thinking about anything. And yet entertainment also uh, does another function, and that's to download lots of messages for predictive programming into you. It gives you your opinions on pretty well every topic you can imagine. Now, I've mentioned before how at the beginning of the 20th century, the Fabians were talking about uh, a post-industrial society, a world society run by a socialist system. Socialism means that the experts, those who are fittest to rule, should have the right to rule. All the intelligentsia and academia and people with the, the right kind of knowledge, you know, you just cannot manage your lives properly. And so with this big system, with the masses, the term the masses broke out really um, with industrial era. You stopped being people anymore, and you became the mass, the masses, you see. And it's been the same right up until the present time. They still use that. So everything is based on mass management. Uh, but it also de- means that uh, every individual has to be completely predictable, and hence the need for complete uh, surveillance upon every single person, and the Internet and all the other toys we have uh, were given to us for that purpose. 
They also said, though, at the beginning of the 20th century, that eventually they'd crowd everybody into uh, super cities. And in the 90s, the United Nations uh, had a, a day for the opening of their statement, at least. Uh, they opened a lot of things in the air uh, to do with uh, the beginning of super cities. The projects were to go ahead. And not many people looked into what they were talking about because it seemed uh, kind of wishy-washy at the time, not very clear at all. And we don't we tend to ignore things that aren't spelled out like uh, in child speak to us. But it was about the creation uh, of, first of all, of the amalgamation of existing main cities with all those smaller ones that had grown up around them, various townships as well. And then the push would be on to depopulate the rural areas. That's always been a, a, a prime thing to do for socialist countries. They, they move the people from the country into the mega cities where they can be more properly managed, you see, under many, many different pretexts, of course, as well. And uh, we've seen that happen in, in places like Canada and other countries across the world, where they've amalgamated everything, centralized them into the main city. All, all the taxation for your state, your province, comes from your main uh, uh, super city, where it used to be basically spread out from the different ones. And that's why it's so inefficient, because you cannot have... The further away that your government goes from you, the less chance that there is, of course, they're going to be bothered about you. You're just another um, one of the many around them that they don't really want to look at. And I also mentioned, too, uh, that... um, I think it was Detroit was going to be one of the first cities to be basically demolished around the urban area. Urban sprawl, as they call it, is a dirty thing. You see, that's why they called it sprawl. It's it's the linguistics they use. And Obama talks about uh, his projects that he'd taken from someone else that came forward to talk about how they would demolish these old urban areas where people live and they've moved all the work or the factories out. This article here shows you how they don't just say something. Legally, you see, they have to tell you, in a sense. It doesn't, it doesn't mean they have to explain it to you. They just have to tell you or make, make the statement or use a term like New World Order, like Papa Bush and Mr. Blair, then Brown, at the different G20 meetings, as all the newspapers said. They mean what they say. And we tend to ignore it, thinking it doesn't really affect us. So this article is from the Detroit News, and it says... Um, Detroit Mayor Dave Bing says the city plans to encourage residents to move from some neighborhoods. If they stay where they are, I absolutely cannot give them all the services they require. It says, um, uh, the mayor says it's not an easy conversation, but people services must be focused to save city. As I say, they'll use any excuse, you see, so it'll be easier for them to have all your little walk-in clinics and different things and social work departments and it's, it's less far to go for the children's aid to go and steal your children from you when it's all centralized and you're all squashed together like sartines uh, living on top of each other. So he says, um, and this is uh, by Christine MacDonald. Mayor Dave Bing said Wednesday he absolutely intends to relocate residents from desolate neighborhoods and is bracing for inevitable legal challenges when he unveils his downsizing plan. That's a clearance, by the way, not downsizing. That's called clearances. You see, they've done clearances all down through history, and it's a clearance project. And a strongest statement about shrinking the city, 
Since taking office, Bing told WJR 760AM the city is using internal and external data to decide winners and losers. Winners and losers, eh? That's all, that's all you are. The city plans to save some neighbourhoods and encourage residents to move from others, he said. Encourage. <laughs> what does encouragement mean, eh? If we don't do it, you know this whole city is going to go down. Oh, no kidding, I thought it already had. I'm hopeful people would understand that, being said. If we can incentivize some, incentivize, that's a good one, some of those folks that are in those desolate areas, they can get a better situation, really. If they stay where they are, I absolutely cannot give them all the services they require. He said there's no timeline, price tag, or estimate on the number of people who would have to be moved, but said federal funding would be needed. Well, that's already been pretty well put on the books. Bing City plans to focus on the neighborhoods in which Detroit Public Schools uh, plan to build schools with $500.5 million in bonds. Voters approved last year. So once again, it's for the children. You understand that? You've got to sacrifice for the children because in this society, we love children so much. That's why the abortion clinics are chomping out the smoke that no one complains about in that particular case. You can't support every neighborhood, being told WGIR's uh, Frank Beckman. You can't support every community across the country or across the city. Well, you see, something's happened because you shouldn't have to support them at all. Is that what government to support you? Is that what government really is there to support you? So these communities are, that are stable, we can't allow them to go down the tubes. That's not a good business decision from my vantage point. So your home and all where you live is really a business. Being acknowledged, it won't be an easy conver- uh, conversation, and he's already facing opposition from activists such as Ron Scott, who said he is adamantly opposed and believes the business community is pushing Bing to get cheap access to large tracts of the city. Well, of course, that's also true as well. And you know the ones they pick on first, the ones <laughs> that are at rock bottom, uh, maybe behind in a, in a few payments, and uh, that, that's, those are the ones they pick on first, or the unemployed. It's an old, old story. Nothing new in it really at all, is it? But I'll put, I'll put this up on my site at the end of the show, this link, but I'll also put up the one on the mega cities to show you just how... Already, there are hundreds of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, working with your governments and have been for a while, getting paid by your government and the foundations to set up this system uh, through academia and and various other uh, sources. It's all across Europe as well, because as I say, it's a world world organization. It's from the United Nations who first mentioned the cramming in of all the people into the, the centre downtown areas. And they'll be building up the way until you have the shacks on top like they did in, in Hong Kong at one time. They literally had shacks on top of the skyscrapers for those at the bottom of the of the heap. Only it was a reversal. You were kind of at the top of the heap there. Now, the EU, it's interesting. I read an article recently where... Hillary Clinton was addressing NATO and popping over to see her friend Madeleine Albright that also is an advisor there, the woman who loves people and starves them to death like she did with Iraq and thought it was a good thing. And uh, Hillary mentioned that part of NATO's job, and this is true because I read from the book by one of the generals from from NATO who wrote a book uh, 
quite a few years back about one of its functions was to integrate, totally integrate, completely integrate Europe until it's like one country. And that's been done, of course. But Hillary reiterated that in her late speech, that that was part, still a part of its ongoing function. Just when you think you're integrated, no, you've got more integration to go and more and more and more until it's just a mass of heaving peoples moving to and fro and um, most of them living not not too well at all. This is from the BBC. Uh, it's it's about the economic union president that was elected by, again, a, a very secretive council elects the president for this massive Soviet, new Soviet bloc called the Economic Union. And I'll read this uh, tirade that was put against this president in front of his face uh, after I come back from this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. This article is from the BBC to do with a tirade from a member of the European Parliament, a parliamentarian towards the new president that no one had actually heard of before. Uh, So who elected him, no one really knows. But anyway, this is from the 24th of February 2010. It says, a British Eurosceptic, or sceptic, I like sceptic actually because uh, it, it sounds nice and smelly, a member of the European Parliament has unleashed a volley of insults against the President of the European Council, N- Nigel Farage, who leads the UK Independence Party, uh, MEPs in the European Parliament, said Herman Van Rompuy had the charisma of a damp rag. He compared the former Belgian Prime Minister to a low-grade bank clerk and said he came from a non-country. The attack which stunned the chamber came as Mr. Van Rompuy made his maiden appearance in Parliament in Brussels. I don't want to be rude, Mr. Farage began, before launching into a personal attack, lasting several minutes. He says, but he asked, who are you? I've never heard of you. In fact, nobody in Europe has ever heard of you, Mr. Farage thundered, as noisy disapproval at his intervention in the chamber rose. He says, oh, I know democracy is not popular with you a lot, he said, addressing the members of Parliament as they voiced their surprise. And that's true. That's true. You see, everything's done in secret, this this great Soviet bloc they call the European Union. And uh, the laws are all passed from the top. The members of the European Parliament can suggest laws or, or and they can suggest not putting the laws through, but they have nothing to, they have no power to block them. Everything is in total secrecy, but that's socialism for you. Mr. Farage, known for his outspoken interventions, did, however, admit that he thought Mr. Van Rompuy was competent and capable, adding that this made him dangerous, because it means capable for what? Socialism. I don't doubt that your intention is to be the quiet assassin of European democracy and of European nation-states, he said, and that's also true because the European Union is not democratic by any any definition whatsoever. In fact, some of the the, the dissidents from the old Soviet bloc uh, have written screeds about this and said it's, it's really very much like the Soviet Union. Mr. Farage's party, the UKIP, campaigns for the withdrawal of Britain from the European Union. It has 13 representatives in the European Parliament. 
He says, you seem to have a loathing for the very concept of the existence of nation-states, Mr. Farage continued, adding, perhaps that's because you come from Belgium, which is pretty much a non-country. Mr. Van Rompuy, 62, was chosen uh, unanimously by the governments of the EU as 27 member states. In other words, you see, it was a government. This is what we're told. The governments chose this guy. The public didn't get a vote on anything. This is the top guy to rule over all of them. Described as camera-shy and sometimes given the nickname the Grey Mouse, he is seen as a coalition builder, credited for steering linguistically divided Belgium out of crisis. In a typically low-key response to the comments Mr. Van Rompuy said, there was one contribution that I can only hold in contempt, but I'm not going to comment further. But you see, he can't deny it, because his whole purpose, and that's why he really was picked by much higher authorities than, than any uh, leaders of the governments, uh, he was picked because he's their boy. He'll do exactly as he's told. And socialism is going hard and fast. Uh, in fact, Europe has gone, to be honest with you. It's pretty well gone. You can't unravel it. I can remember when Bob Ray was put in as the Premier of Canada. Everybody was so fed up with the left and the right wings that they voted in the far left, this guy's further left than Karl Marx. And Bob Ray... Uh, shook up a lot of things He left us with a massive debt in Ontario We didn't have any when he came in And um, He said that the time he finished With Ontario, he and his party The laws, interwoven laws That he put in would, would be Impossible to unravel Well that's exactly how they set up the European Union In other words, they're trying to tell us If we went through trying to unravel These laws legally, it would take About 50, 50 years to do so well, personally, I know how you do it. You just get all that stuff and you throw it in the... I've got a nice fire here. It's quite nice and big, this, this stove here. It holds quite a bit of... And it burn them all pretty efficiently, too, because when it's really hot, you don't see any smoke coming out. But that's the reality of life we're living in. It's a, it's a planned farce, has been for quite a few generations, and the public are the last... It's designed that the public are the last to know what it's really all about. Now, another laugh I got too was the World, the World Health Organization, this great Doctor Who, and um, from all the farces they've gone through. Remember that everything from the United Nations is a political agency. Every agency they have is for a political purpose in the big socialist plan. And we've seen the farces they've had with the IPCC that they commandeer and all the other organizations that end up with scandals and scams. But here they've come out with a, a surgical safety checklist to reduce morbidity and mortality in a global population. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, you see, your health services are all being amalgamated. Uh, that's part of the globalist plan. You know, you'll have one authority over all uh, medicine and medical authorities, and everything comes down from the United Nations. It actually already does through the World Health Organization. But they're putting out a surgical safety checklist uh, for surgeons and for the staff. And, and it's the most basic stuff that I, I, I don't even... I think even the nurses and assistants probably get taught this stuff. And um, if they retell them again to count the swabs, and like make sure they're all out of the body uh, and all that, make sure the right patient and don't remove the wrong breast back after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Walton. We're cutting through the matrix. Just mentioning this World Health Organization list they put out. And this, this article is actually from the New England Journal of Medicine. And I'll put this up for your perusal too. And uh, another one next to it to do with Canada's uh, safety check. We're already, we're already, we're, we're so good at two shoes in Canada. We've already implemented this to make sure that people uh, go through this 32 point list and it's to be mandatory in April the 1st. It says, um, <laughs> you're laughing, Canada too. The surgical safety checklist that was rolled out this week by the Ontario Ministry of Health, which you don't mention is from the World Health Organization, is designed to prevent precisely the kind of mistakes that saw Dr. Barbara Hartwell perform two unnecessary mastectomies on a pair of local women health officials, said Wednesday. And that's called in medical parlance, oops, you see. And, and it's someone else also, I do believe, <laughs> removed a baby's bladder by mistake. You know, that's an awful thing. And it's, it, we could, you could see in a comedy show you'd laugh your head off, but, but in reality, this, this is real. They actually are doing this kind of stuff. And you cannot, um, I can't understand how it's happening at all. I really, really can't. I really, really, really can't. I, either the, the, the training has gone down the tubes to such an extent that um, you've got total incompetence in charge, but I think part of it too again, is a socialist system uh, that runs the whole thing here. Um, and there's more chiefs than Indians. There's more bureaucrats running over these things than uh, well-trained employees. That's part of the problem. And that's also the same, I, I think, with Britain and other countries in Europe. And the U.S. is taking Britain for the example to follow under Obama's health care plan. Don't you believe for a second that's been shelved or they're still debating because I talk to enough medical professionals in the U.S. frequently who give me the scoop on what's being implemented already, what was being implemented before Obama was brought in even, and where it's all going now. There's a lot of wards getting uh, shut, shutting down. There's a lot of them getting uh, rented out to private organizations. And right along with the plan that Obama uh, had suggested from the Rand Corporation, of course, um, they're really cutting an awful lot of the care out altogether. So I'll put these, all these links up, as I say, for you to peruse at the end of the show on CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. If ExploreNet, that wonderful Hughes satellite company that, uh, that gives the, it out to a few companies like ExploreNet, gives me or deems to give me the speed that I need to get everything uploaded tonight, since I'm down to twice the speed of dial-up when I'm paying... Uh, what most of actually three times of what you lot are paying out there for your cable high-speed internet because because I'm me I guess they just like me so much. Now there's a caller on the line. Uh, I don't know if it's long distance, but it's from London. Is uh, is it Honey there? Hello. Hi. Yes. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Um, I've only been listening to your show for a few months, but you're doing good work and you are waking people up. Um, yeah. I just wanted to talk, it's good that you spent so much time talking about the EU because that's what my little comment is about uh-huh. um, a few weeks ago when they were talking about Greece's economy in the news and you know whether they were going to help them or not 
Someone was being interviewed, and I think he was based inside the European Parliament, and um, behind him on one of these sort of LCD screens was the flag of the EU. Yeah. And, you know, there's the blue background and the circle of the 12 golden stars. Mm-hmm. But above the circle and underneath it were these two yellow semicircles. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, to me, it looked like an eye. Yeah. Yep. And I'd never seen that symbol before, and when I saw that, I got quite disturbed by it. Um, yes. I tried finding that clip on the internet, but, you know, a lot of them upload interviews onto the internet now, but I, I couldn't find it anywhere. I'm just having a look on the EU website now, and it turns out that it's a symbol of one of their sort of, one of their bodies. It's a symbol of the council, and it's just something that I never saw before, and it really... You know, it just freaked me out, and I wanted to call you, but I haven't had a chance to do so until now. It's also interesting because um, when I was at school, we were taught that the 12 stars are meant to symbolize, like, the 12, the, the first 12 nations that signed up to the EU. That's what they told them, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you actually go on their own website, um, it's, can, I, can I read something out? I'm on the website now, and it says, the number of stars has nothing to do with the number of members, member states. Mm-hmm. There are 12 stars because the number 12 is traditionally the symbol of perfection, completeness, and unity. The flag, therefore, remains unchanged regardless of EU enlargements. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I know that you've mentioned in the past that the UN actually means one in French. Mm-hmm. Does the EU have something to do with I in other European languages? Does it mean I? It's also it's from an old Greek rendition uh, and then into... Yeah, it's said in Greek, actually. But the precursor of Don was also called Ia, or they often they'll say Io in, in the modern times, but it used to be pronounced Eu. And that's, that's the, that's a her- there's always someone who heralds the Don, the new age, the new, new time. And that's why John the Baptist was put in. He's the heralder for a new system. And that's why Freemasonry uh, uh, says that he is the heralder. That's why they have St. John's lodges and all the rest of it. Uh, it's the same thing here. There's always one who heralds the dawn coming in, and really that's what that stands for. They'll often now say Io, but it's, it's EU. Yeah. Okay. So you just, I mean, when that person was being interviewed, that I in the background was the first thing that jumped out at me. And yes. Mm-hmm. I suppose, I guess, once you've been listening to shows like yours, you, you kind of, it, it, it changes your thinking. And I was just thinking, other people that are watching the same interview at home, Surely they're seeing this, but yeah. I guess obviously they're not. Uh, they don't really. It's the same with the American flag. Often you'll see it with the gold fringe around it, uh, which is really maritime law, because things are run by maritime law, where it's got a gold fringe around about it. But they don't ask questions. They, they, don't, they, think, they really believe the media will tell them everything that's important. And, and of course, the media's job is not to tell you anything that's important. <laughs> but the thing, what's interesting, too, about the European Union one is if you look at the original American, uh, the U.S. War of Independence flag, it did not have uh, the lines of stars. It had a circle of uh, stars in it on a blue background, exactly the same. And Benjamin Franklin explained that. He said, he says, I hope this will be a confederation for a confederation of the world because the purpose of 12 is for a, a guiding council to run behind the scenes of wise men. And, and 12 wise men, he says, will, will rule the world. 
And that's what it's always meant in Kabbalism, in esoteric Kabbalism. Yeah. It's not the parliament, as you know, that the, and even the ones at the top tell you that, that all the decisions are done by secret panels at the top. Well, it's obviously a, a top secret panel, and it's, it'll be 12 wise men. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it, it's not every day that you, you get political organizations talking about perfect numbers and things exactly. like that on their own website. Yeah, yeah. Where is this? And uh, you only find this in, in Kabbalism, and uh, that's where it really comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for taking my call. And thanks for calling. Yeah, you'll you'll, you'll find in Rosicrucian the Rosicrucian movement they use that number and that figure too, and Rosicrucianism also had had uh, it wasn't just a Jewish Kabbalism. They borrowed a lot of the Jewish concepts and and brought it in, and actually called it Christian Kabbalism. At the time, and that became one of their their high symbols, the twelve stars. And of course, they always say there's a there's twelve chairs laid out with an extra one that is not occupied. So technically, there's thirteen chairs, twelve bodies, but one to come. And that's what they say. But uh, the eye is interesting. It's always the same con job that's going on. It means that uh, from from even above the panels, there's an, another body or person. Uh, and watching over it all. Some of them will say, well, it's a grand architect of the universe and all that stuff, but it, but it's much bigger than just that. They're, they definitely have um, single bosses here and there looking over individual organizations. Now, the it's interesting, this article here, to do with <laughs> just how addicted people are today to their toys that they were given uh, and made, they're made very, very cheap, all the toys. The Internet's cheap for most folk. Uh, even if you don't have much money at all, you can get a cheap used computer and get a cheap deal, uh, unless you live in the country like I do and you have to get satellite. And they have their, their, their phones and all the rest of it. And I've read articles before where they were already doing studies through academia and getting all the information given to them by the authorities of your phone calls, where you are when you do it, to find out patterns all about you and how it's fed to the Pentagon. And, and I read the article from the Pentagon where they actually have a, a virtual reality world set up where there's, there's one of each of us in, in that, uh, in an avatar, if you like, in each one of these uh, uh, um, uh, um, from all countries in the Pentagon setup. The idea being that by getting all of your daily data and information of where you travel with your cell phone because they're, they're tracking you all the time, getting the, the, the cluster of friends, they call them clusters, what you have in common with people, they, they fix out your personality profile and they can actually feed into what you would do under certain circumstances knowing your personality profile and so you're utterly predictable. This article here is just another one on the same kind of thing and it's from SciTech uh, Heretic. Privacy alert, well, dummies by the Fed, smart meter line. Oh, this is the... This is a different one, actually. This is about the smart meter. Where's the one I've got here on? Oh, yeah, it's stuck. Stuck in a rut, it's called. And this is from Mail Online. Stuck in a rut. That may be because our movements are 90% predictable. And it's from the Mail Online, 25th of February. Like to think of yourself as a spontaneous sort. You're so predictable. It says, we are such creatures of habit that scientists can accurately predict where we'll go and when we'll go there more than 90% of the time. Most of us can usually be found within one to three miles of our home. Even those with long, uh, a long commute generally do the same things at around the same time each day, the journal Science reports. 
In other words, most of us are stuck in a rut. Researcher Albert Lazio Barbazzi said, if you drive for one and a half hours to work and back, three hours of your day are taken away, so you have little freedom to be spontaneous. You're working and traveling home and pretty much crashing and preparing for the next day. Globetrotters also follow well-trodden paths, tending to follow familiar routes rather than visiting new places. The Professor Barbazzi of the respected Harvard Medical School in the U.S. analyzed three months of mobile phone data from 50,000 people. Logged by billing companies when they made or received calls and text, it allowed the researchers to pinpoint their location to within two miles. Researchers use this information to build up a pattern of each person's movements during the week and at weekends. They found they could predict where a person would be at given time and get it right up to 93% of the time. Even the most spontaneous sorts were 80% predictable. Barbassi said, we are far more predictable than we think. You have a regular schedule, but I think there are people out there who are less regular and are very spontaneous. What we're finding is there aren't those spontaneous people out there. Each of us are very regular, and that regularity makes us very predictable. Now, I've told you before that in a totalitarian system, everyone must be completely predictable. In every totalitarian society, that have always been socialist, by the way, uh, under the names of uh, Soviets or, or, or Nazi, Nazi was National Socialism, uh, communism or Sovietization was supposed to be international uh, uh, socialism. And so they had records on every single individual uh, and all their habits and incredible amounts of data before they even had computers. So here they are going at it here. And this is only one professor getting this information shared to him that's supposed to be kept private and all the rest of it. And uh, he's doing this data. And I guarantee you this stuff is, will be going to the Pentagon too from that previous article I read a few months ago or it was maybe last summer even. So just to let you know that um, that's the kind of world we're growing up into. Most folk don't care because a lot of people will like socialism uh, and they can be trained into liking Big Brother and believing that he's there to help them. Most, a lot of folk will actually like that, believe it or not. But this article I'll go back to now. Will dummies buy the the Fed's smart meter line? Now, they're putting these smart meters in your electrical supply and next year on your house um, all over Canada and a lot of places in the States. In Canada, we don't get the option. They just come and put it in. And uh, these meters have two methods, it said in the little brochure that's slipped under your door, uh, to transmit the readings to their head office. Once it's up and running... Uh, and they said that one is by basically FM radio, and the other one is by a Wi-Fi system that connects somehow to the Internet. So uh, here's another spy thing in your house. But not only that, it can actually read the signatures on any appliance you use in your house. When you buy any new uh, items and you can plug them in, it will automatically register and send that back to them too. And if you go over a certain amount of... Um, usage, you eventually will be penalized for doing so as they bring in what they call the age of austerity, the age of austerity, the cutbacks. Now, training the animals to have less and less and less, you see, and the wonderful equality. That's what they mean by equality in socialism. We're all dirt equally poor uh, at the bottom. That's most of us. And you have a small elite at the top running the whole system, as I've explained many, many times before. Uh, under the this austerity, if you read the articles in the papers today, do a search, 
you'll find that Greece is going through riots right now because their their president or prime minister just uh, declared basically he's bringing austerity and massive clampdowns to pay off the national debt. And really he was ordered to do, it so, do so by the economic union because, you see, you're no longer a sovereign nation anymore. You're basically, you're, in fact, you have less rights than a U.S. state has to the federal government. You're more like a province of Britain, basically, and uh, you do what you're told. So it says, uh, the word privacy appears not once in a 1,500-word request for public comment on the smart grid released by the White House this week. That's because your individual privacy is an obstacle that the government, aided by the utility companies, hopes to overcome with so-called smart meters, devices that will reveal precisely how you're using the electricity you paid for. Research into the smart grid, which includes the use of smart meters, has been paid for by hundreds of millions of your tax dollars. That's a fact. Our tax money funds our chains. I keep telling us we fund our own chains. Isn't that amazing, eh? We pay for all the research developments and the setup of it, and, and then they make us pay for it <laughs> when they install it. So far, the only discernible benefits of the smart meters will go to the utility companies and government investigators. No potential savings for consumers have been demonstrated. Your, your bills don't go down. Uh, one question from the Office of Science and Technology does glance on the privacy issue. It says, who owns the home energy usage data? Should individual consumers and the authorized third-party service providers have the right to access energy usage directly from the meter? Obviously, individual consumers own the juice they pay for, not the utilities. Well, that's going to be obvious, but it ain't, it ain't the, the facts. <laughs> Back with more after this break. And this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And before leaving the smart meters, I should mention too that uh, here in Canada, they've been putting them in for a long time and they still haven't set up the grid, they tell us. And how they've been doing it before that even was that they stopped sell- uh, sending out to you because they privatized it. The taxpayer funded and built up the whole electrical system for Ontario and then they sold it for peanuts. Actually, Morris Strong set it off. Uh, for the United Nations, he was a guy they sent over to sell it off to his private buddies. And then they cut back on even meter readers. So uh, they give you an estimate of what they think it should be according to last year or whatever. And believe you me, when they make a mistake, it doesn't matter how many times you phone them up, as I do every week, uh, they go by that original mistake. They're like compu- These people you talk to are like computers themselves. And you get overbilled by sometimes three, $400 in a bill. And that can take up to four months to clear up with them, maybe five if you stick at it. And I went through it last year. Then they put in the smart meter. The girl who read the last meter, they actually sent her out to read it before they, when they were installing the new one. She, she couldn't read it because the bowl was, was all full of condensation. So she guessed at it. And I'm supposed to just pay up her big mistake, which is out by hundreds of bucks. And so this is tacked on every bill they give me uh, ever since. And even yet, I'm still phoning in what the new meter says because they haven't sent out someone to read it and they haven't set up their system to actually read it remotely. So they tell me. 
That's your con with smart meters. But it will be a form of making you a steer, get, teaching you and training you Pavlovian style by cutting you off if necessary, uh, according to many people in the house, uh, as to how much electricity you should be using. And, uh, and they'll just cut you off and penalize you if you go above it. That's what's coming down, because I read the early articles on it uh, a few years back. Now, freedom is a wonderful thing, and uh, I'm still looking to find someone who's got it. I've read a lot about it, and I've read a lot about people fighting for freedom, but um, I I truly haven't met many people who've got it. Maybe in a few jungles here and there where folk uh, uh, make sure that, like they are in some parts of the Amazon, uh, they don't let the people in that uh, despoil their country. Maybe they have freedom, but if they do, they're the last... We prattle on about a lot because we're taught by the governments that we are free. And I've read that quote often uh, by Huxley and Russell and others who said, we'll all believe we're free because the government will tell us so. Uh, that's really the freedom that we have today as we're trained Pavlovian style into this new uh, socialist system that's got a fair ways to go and it's not pleasant whatsoever. It's a, it's a global plantation basically. And depopulation will come into it as they claim there's less resources. It's not, it isn't a matter of less resources. The fact is they're allowing less resources to be used uh, and given to us. And that will eventually come to your food as well. Rationing will come down the pike. They've got to bring that in. Uh, they always do in a wartime scenario. And this is a war on the public declared a long time ago by the Fabians and the Royal Society. Well, the Royal Society too, for sure, but the, the Institute for International Affairs and the Council of Foreign Relations to basically train the public into the way we should live, according to the experts, those that know better, you see, but don't want to live like you. Some are more equal than others in such utopias, said Orwell. And I was going to read an article about a poor old woman at 61 who got arrested for standing talking about arranging her funeral by a cop in Atlanta. But I'll leave that till tomorrow. From Hamish myself, from a very cold Canada, amongst all this global warming, there's a cold north wind blowing. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.